Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Roundtable Show. This is episode 288. Amazing, really, isn't it? Uh, um, I've got a really great panel of WordPress junkies, friends, experts with us, and I'm going to let them quickly introduce themselves, and maybe some people will pop in during the show. And that's um, I'm going to start with Sally. Sally, would you like to quickly introduce yourself? Certainly. I am Sally Getch, the WP fangirl, and I build uh, custom Genesis sites for growing businesses. And I'm also the organizer of the East Bay WordPress meetup in Oakland, California. And a great one it is as well. And we've got uh, Mendel returned. Mendel, would you like to quickly introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm, I, I'm Mendel, and I fall into the category of WordPress junkie for sure. Um, I work at GoDaddy on the GoDaddy Pro program, and uh, I'm excited as always to share my completely detached views from reality uh and by the way from my uh my my opinions of my own uh no my employer didn't tell me to say that but i decided to to uh very wise very wise do you you come back from iceland do you refuse to eat the rotten shark yeah no rotten shark for me yeah not 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 this time (laughs) No, you have not considered. Uh, you wondering, folks, what I'm talking about. In Iceland, they have a, a delicacy. They bury sharks for a couple of years, let them putrefy for a while, and then they dig them up, and then they start consuming them. Yum, yum. That's what I say. Uh, um, John looks totally disgusted. Um, John, would you like to introduce... Oh, no, he's not that bothered. Um, John, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure thing. My name's John Locke, uh, and I do SEO for manufacturing and industrial firms. So you, you a bit of putrefied shark wouldn't bother you, John? That's, nah, a l- little ammonia in the morning. Not a big deal. Yeah, exactly. He's a, he's a, he's a hard man, this guy. All right, all right. Then I'll just, well, I won't tell you what I would do if I putrefied shark. Um well, on to the stories, folks. Sorry, I was babbling there, wasn't I? Uh, um, so, um, before we go into... No, I think we go straight into the stories. Let's go. Let's get on with this puppy. Uh, um, so, the first story, Square buys Weebly for $365 million. Would you like to give a quick synopsis of this, John? Yeah, essentially Square... Uh, has bought Weebly. Uh, that's a deal is expected to be finalized uh, in the next quarter. So it kind of begs the question: what, You know, why are they acquiring Weebly, and what would be the next steps? My kind of thought on this is they're probably going to uh, use this to deliver some sort of all-in-one solution for small businesses. That's most of the people that use the Square Reader now. Uh, to, you know, plug it in your phone and swipe the card. But now they can do that, uh, you know, maybe down the line they'll integrate that into Weebly to where they have some sort of e-commerce thing. It seems like they're 
probably trying to compete with Squarespace, who already has uh, e-commerce websites for a monthly fee. So I'd like to hear Mendel's thoughts on this. Uh, oh, yeah, I would. Love I'm to. glad. I'm glad you asked. Yeah. Um, actually, uh, I'm. I'm not going to take a crazy uh, view on this. So, if you've ever um, played around with uh, Square, there are f- a few really interesting things. Number one. Uh, you can sync inventory from any other service, so WooCommerce or um, uh, why am I forgetting other um, Shopify? <laughs> other shops? Yeah, so from from other shops, right? And the idea is to keep your inventory um, local and on your website uh, in sync. And right now they do offer uh, a limited storefront. I have a feeling that they want to just increase the um, usability of, of that product. So I think it's I think it's a really really smart move um, for for Square, a company that is handling in some cases people's entire inventory. So uh, if you go to your local coffee shop or your local um, uh, you know, boutique or something like that, it's likely that they're using Square. I think even some big box stores use Square. Um, so it, it, it's, it's a really usable product. And I'm guessing the reason they're, they're making this buy is because, um, because they've noticed that a lot of people uh, have like vanity websites. They don't have online stores. And this is their way to um, make the offering compelling enough for them to not only be able to, the store owner not only be able to build a website like they can on Squarespace uh, with with an easy point and click builder, um, but they can also then integrate the e-commerce products. Um, that's that's my take. Whether you like it or hate it, I mean, I'm I'm still going to use WooCommerce with Square um, because I sell stuff sometimes for my little side gig uh, in person. Right. And, and so that's super, super valuable to have that, that inventory sink. So. Yeah. Before I throw it over to Sally, um, I've, I was just, I, I was a little bit puzzled and I wasn't puzzled when, the, you know, John brought up this story because I totally agree with you, Mendel. In some ways it makes sense, but Weebly for 365 million, obviously you've got to go into the details of the deal. Was it just shares or was it cash? But, oh. but um, I, I have a feeling it's a it's a tech it's a tech acquisition more more than anything else. Oh, right. And probably and probably um, also a customer acquisition. If you think about if you think about the fact that Square might want to increase their footprint, um, having being able to, to uh, market directly to Weebly customers who might not be converting to any sort of paid. Um, application, uh, being able to market to them to use Square and and then being able to integrate Weebly's um, uh, probably better user interface than than Square's current shop because yeah. um, Square is not a it's not a website company, right? So yeah, good points. What do you think, Sally? 
Right. Well, the, you know, the article said it was both uh, stock and, and uh, cash and did talk about the fact that it opened up some new markets uh, for Square because a lot of Weebly's uh, users are overseas. Uh-huh. Um, and I think, you know, Mendel's point about the, the way it makes sense is like, it does make sense. But I, I have to say, you know, when I first looked at that article, I thought it said Squarespace bought Weebly and then I had to reread it. Uh, because that it, you know, my mind didn't make a connection between you know why would why would Square because I think of them really as a payment processor um, do that, but uh, you know yes because they uh, integrate pretty well with e-commerce and I've set up uh, client sites to to use uh, Square with WooCommerce. Um, you know th- it is a logical step for them to make, and they. Uh, you know, one of these reporters, you know, connected to the CFO at, at Square and asked, you know, basically, are you going on an acquisition binge? And they said, well, no, but we're, you know, as we see things that make sense to us to do, we're going to do them. Uh, oh, right. That sounds great. Great. Uh, yes, I, I have no clue on what the valuation of, of Weebly I, 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 or the amount of money that's, I just, I have no opinion because I, I have no knowledge. No, I have no knowledge anyway, but no, I think I, I can understand it. I, th- I think your synopsis, Mendel, is really helpful. I was a little bit puzzled, but after what you said, it makes sense, actually. I can see why they've done it. I think we go on to the next story. And we've got Adam joining us from WP Crafter. Would you like to quickly introduce yourself, Adam? Sure. Hey, everybody. It's also a good chance to test my audio. Um, <laughs> do I sound good? Yep, you do. Okay, I've been you're, doing you're all kinds hot. of different... A little hot? Yes. Thank you. Too close to the mic hot. (laughs) Too close to the mic hot? Or maybe it's my audio is too silky smooth. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) It is a little bit hot. There we go. But there we go. It's better to be hot than to be cold, isn't it? Right. uh, I'm sure you can jiggle it around. Uh, On to the next story. Uh, WordPress accessibility team is seeking contributors for its handbook project. Would you like to say something about that, Sally? Sure. Um, I, you know, I, I saw this. I thought it was great. I'm not an accessibility expert, but I am a real proponent of accessibility and its importance. And the easier that the, uh, you know, WordPress uh, core team and foundation make it uh, for us to create accessible websites with WordPress and to, to test you know, themes that we build and that kind of thing, the better it's going to be. And and so they want people to help contribute to the handbook. There is some good stuff already in the handbook. There's a, a another post that came out with a, you know, they've got a pretty good entry now on accessibility testing uh, so that, you know, if you want to know if, if the site that you are building is, is accessible, you know, here, here's what you should check. Uh, so I would I would certainly encourage anybody who does have the uh, appropriate experience uh, and you know <clears throat> the av- av- available uh, bandwidth to go and uh, te- you know do this testing uh, or do the you know contribute to the handbook. Yeah, I think it's a really positive thing. Um, I think it's great they're going to have a resource like that because if you have got the um, you've got a client where. It's, where you've got the resources where you can do this right. It's great that you've got online resources. What do you recommend, Uh Yes. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Vettel. Well, John, got anything to say about it, John? 
No, he's got nothing to say. All right, odds S- sadly, it's one of those topics that it's, um, you know, isn't there some like law going into effect where we kind of have to, uh, it's not like GDPR insane $20 million fine, but we do have to probably start making an effort uh, to make our websites more accessible. Yeah, there are, friendly. There are certain law factors in, in which you have to do it. So, uh, you know, government websites, um, certain other things. I, I worked once on a, a site for a, um, it's either a, like an, an HMO uh, or, a, you know, your medical provider websites. Uh, and it's probably going to expand. Uh, and and frankly, you know, as a person who is not getting any younger, uh, certain aspects of accessibility, just like having enough contrast, you know, having having your font sizes big enough, uh, it, it is something that I appreciate. There we go. On to the next story. On to the next one. I say. All right. Oh, um, from Seattle to Luxembourg, how tax schemes shape Amazon. Um, this is a, a story from the, the Guardian, which is a British newspaper, very well known. And it, um, most of their content is totally accessible. I would suggest that you'd go spare one when you go to theguardian.com. It's always a good little read uh, um, if you're a snowflake like me. Uh, um, so uh, um, anybody want to start off with this one? What about you, John? Do you want to start off with Yeah, this? I'll start off, yeah. So... Uh, what is Jeff Bezos now? Is he like uh, the richest guy in the world, or yes, pretty, pretty far up there? I think I think he oscillates with Bill Gates, depending on the share price, yeah. doesn't he? So I mean, a lot a lot of their empire uh, has been built on the fact that they get tax breaks from the cities that they build their you know warehouses and headquarters in, but. One of the things that happens at the civic level is is bringing jobs to an area is a big uh, thing, and a lot of times they uh, people who are hired to do this for cities they understand that they're going to have to give away a lot to bring in jobs, and it's often costs a lot more than what you think. Uh, now, the quality of of those jobs, say if you're working in the warehouse, that's a totally different debate, but. It is very much true that that Amazon leverages uh, the tax breaks that local governments are willing to give to them in order to have a facility there, and uh, that is, you know, one of the, one of the reasons why they're making a lot of money. You know, so yeah, I thought it was interesting in some ways because obviously the early days of um, the reason why he moved to Seattle. Um, well, which is laid out in the article. One of the reasons why he moved to Seattle was that at the time it was a very small um, state in population and it gave advantage around sales tax um, because um, he didn't have any facilities in other states. So he, um, he didn't have to pay, he didn't have to charge sales tax and that really helped in the initial growth of Amazon. Um, but they, they seem, um, had him and Amazon have a, a reputation of being um, very aggressive in their um, taxation 
setup, which is not unusual. Obviously, also that we've had the Panama Papers, we've also um, had the fine which uh, Apple um, is still embroiled in. I think the Irish government is has asked a, a very large tax bill from Apple. So Amazon is not the only tech company that um, has very elaborate taxation um, setups. But the other part of it, um, we look at the technology and we look at the um, shiny PR of these companies, but is it really that one of the re reasons why they make a lot of money is um, something which they're not so keen for the public to realise is that they're very um, um, creative in their taxation systems. What do you reckon, Adam? Well, they're actually creative in everything they do. And it's actually the onus of the business owner or the individual to do. And also the responsibility you have to your share. I mean, we're, we're, we're taking out maybe what we could consider like a moral responsibility, but is it a moral responsibility to pay more taxes than you would actually have to, um, you know, and that's all debatable, especially when you have like a, a company like Amazon that pays virtually no taxes at all. You know, uh, John was pointing out how when they have their distribution centers, they actually it, it actually costs the the local government in free land uh, to let them do that there and to win those contracts. It goes from just something small like that all the way up to the top to at the end of the day where your IPs stored, where your profits are actually hitting. And none, the reality is none of these companies actually pay any taxes really. I mean, they pay, they, they have like an effective tax rate of maybe one or 2%. They really pay next to no taxes. It goes for Apple, it goes for all these guys. But then the question is, you know, do, you know, should there be, I have my own opinions because now we're talking about tax code and we're talking about it with regards to U.S. companies. They've been kind of forced to do crazy things like this versus pay the insane tax rate that has been forced on uh, uh, corporations. It'll be interesting to see as that has just changed, if that's going to change the revenue that comes in. So instead of doing all these great expense, uh, ex ex going through all the extent of what they have to do in order to avoid it, would they just bypass that and actually just start paying some stinking taxes? But you know who pays all the taxes? It's, it's really the middle cl class people, the individuals that don't have these, these um, uh, chances to structure things in such a way. When you have a job, you go, you get your job, you get your uh what is it, a W-9 or W-2, W-2 or something like that. It's been so long since I had a job, uh, you know, and you're just, you just pay what you have to pay, you know. So uh, it, it's, a, it's a tough one. I, I'm one of the guys that I really can't fault one of these companies for, for doing that. It, you know, even though they, they don't spend one penny to really help the countries that they're in, uh, same as Walmart, all of them. Uh, I, can you really fault them? You know, I mean, wouldn't we maybe try to do some of the same stuff if we were in the same situation? No, so I understand. I think I'll go on to the next story. I just want to say this is like different from every other company. How? Uh, uh, yeah. You know, um, Tesla? Anybody? Oh, yeah. Well, the, you know, you're bringing up all companies because I'm based in Northern Nevada. Obviously, Amazon has a very large facility in uh, the outskirts of Reno. And what Adam said about 
the actual um, the re, the local um, city of Reno and um, the state government of Nevada gave Amazon, and the kind of breaks they gave to Tesla were um, eye-watering. Uh, the kind of deal that um, Tesla got for moving to northern Nevada and setting up their mega factory was unbelievable. Um, and he's still challenged um, by a few people that I really respect um, that are really very bright in their VCs, but they're based in northern Nevada. And they raised issues because it was such a, a sweetheart deal for Tesla. It was unbelievable. Um, I, I have an opinion before we move yeah. on. Yeah, sure. And I want it to be heard. Uh, I, I, you know... We spent a lot of time talking about um, like tax, tax law and taxation. And like uh, we like we talk about Amazon and Jeff Bezos being like, you know, super wealthy. I, I get it. Right. I get that. Like there's jealousy in this world for what Jeff has. But let's not forget that. Amazon and Tesla and Google and all of these companies that we complain about being taxed uh, uh, so little, they are huge drivers of innovation that move society forward, right? Like we are going to challenge you, you know, move society forward. Uh, I think you're pushing it a little bit there. Mendel. Well, they move society. The direction may not always be forward. Have have you have you ever uh, in the history uh, of of your life had access to more information than you have now? Right. Um, um, and, uh, and the government and these tech companies have not spied on me um, in the history of humanity as well. So you got one side of the other, Mendel. Yeah, I guess, I guess I guess the point is when you look at um, how much commerce is done through Amazon's servers and how accessible and uh and uh, and how um economies of scale have enabled amazon to bring things to all of our doorsteps that enrich our lives and how tesla and companies like that are literally sending payloads of satellites for new scientific data um to space at at a rate that um yeah, forget a rate that we that we couldn't really achieve before. Um, they they filled a gap where uh, where we decided as a people, our elected officials in the U.S. through the people that that we wouldn't send um, these types of missions, uh, you know, into space, right? And and so they're they've they've essentially come in and innovated to the point where they can send uh, payloads that, that help the whole of humanity in, in, in climate research and, and prediction and um, in, in global communications. There's, there's a lot here that we kind of like slough off as like, oh man, the man's not, you know, given a tax break to, to Amazon or given a tax break to Tesla. Like we have to, we have to contemplate that, that some of these, uh, innovations are bringing power uh, to um, underrepresented communities uh, and and storage cells and things like that. So, like, I, I just don't want. If you don't agree with it, that's great. I just want 
No, I think Mendel is making a very good point that, you know, th these companies have brought tremendous benefits to people and, and it may be uh, worthwhile. I, I do think there's been a bit of a, you know, there, there's been a bit of a gap in the um, acknowledgement and of, you know, well, you know, where are the costs that come in? I think a lot of people would say, all right, well, you know, if that's what I have to give up in exchange for this, fine, I'll do it. But, you know, as with the Facebook privacy, it's just that, you know, it was not clear to people what the trade-off was. Yeah, I, I'm so tempted to, to, to respond to Mendel. I'm not Please do. I want to I hear it. I want, come on, this is what this show is all about. Let's hear some controversy. Oh no! I, I think uh, um, well, well, let's go for it. Um, yes. uh, all right. I think um, basically um, the actual business model of Amazon about shipping is extremely environmentally damaging, and um, on a medium term, I do not feel it's sustainable. Um, it's sustainable fundamentally because of, of low oil prices and the present. Um, uh, that situ situation um, probably is not sustainable. Um, obviously, you could say they can look at drones, alum mythologies, but the actual model that, you know, um, like your shopping, everything is shipped to your house, um, I, I think is totally bonkers, really. But probably that's one of the reasons, one of the reasons why they bought Whole Foods, um, because they realised that as well. And they probably realised that Walmart, um, Walmart, um, I forgot the name of the company, they bought a e-commerce um, company um, for a large amount of money. And um, what I've heard is um, Walmart has benefited from that and is increasing a little bit its share because um, they knew that they had to do something as well. And then you've got the whole issue of composite competition. Obviously, any... Um, Amazon's got so large now that when they enter any kind of market, the competitors, um, if they're publicly limited, if they're publicly traded companies, they see their share prices collapse almost straight away. Uh, and a the a free market, basically, that there isn't ever been a free market. It's a, it's a term, a meaningless term. But for any kind of um, modern economy to work in any kind of sh format, you need competition. And when you have um, what you've seen over the past 20 years to 40 years is basically uh, uh, regionally and nationally a decline in active competition, you, you can clearly see that in the airline industry where um, because of... Um, uh, um, companies um, coming together, you get the situation where the, um, you can get an airline that thinks it's okay to actually throw off its passengers um, and physically throw them off in front of social media. Um, well, we're, wait, well, we're, we're, we're like off the rails by like, by like many degrees though. Like we and went yeah, so talking about the Amazon's taxation to, you brought up certain, certain things, but I, I think we should move on because that was a rant for me. It was, and I apologise to the listeners, but you you made me do it, Mendel. You're a terrible person. Uh, I'm shocking. Break time. 
yeah, it's break time, folks. Oh, we'll come back and uh, we'll get back on subject and I promise I won't be ranting. We'll be back in a few moments, folks. Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up-to-date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well-known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no-question-asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com. Just like the podcast. We're coming back. I've had a bit of a rant. It's all Mendel's fault. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> he revoked me. Uh, I, I wait for the emails. I'm sure some emails are coming my way right now, actually. But there we go. Um, I'm like John. I can eat that rotten shark. Uh, um, there we go. Uh, um, on to the next one. Something more interesting, my ranting. Um, WordPress page builders review. Beaver Builder, Divi Builder, WP Bakery Page Builder. Um, and this was on WP Shout. Um, I'm going to throw those over to Adam because he knows nothing about page builders. Uh, um, first of all, what did you think of the article? And just a general synopsis. What do you reckon, Adam? Yeah, well, I did read the article. And uh, I think when it first was published, I must have seen it someplace in my feed or someplace where I might have been on Facebook. Someone shared a link. I think I'm one of the original people to create these types of this one versus this one versus this one, which is actually a very dangerous thing to do. Because if you want to, for some reason, People love the page builder that they're using to the point where they won't listen to any reason with regards to uh, other page builders or any criticism. <laughs> I don't understand it. And that's why I know for me, the whole process of creating a this versus this, I have created a segment of haters around me that attack me everywhere I go. But it's okay. It just comes along with it. That's okay. So, I mean, I do think it's actually very brave of them, but here's the thing. Well, it is brave because they included Divi. I think they would have been even more braver if they would have put the page builder in the article that they should have and kind of shame on them for not doing it. I'm pretty sure he'll add that. They'll add that later. And that's with Elementor, which actually has more active installs than Beaver Builder does. It's approaching the same amount of active installs as Divi has, and it's going to suppress them all. And pretty soon, in, in 12 months, it'll have more active installs than a Divi and Beaver Builder combined. It's just an unstoppable machine at this point. So it's kind of um, uh, odd that that wasn't included in there. But I would say the whenever you read something like this, you have to understand the perspective of the person that's writing it. So this is the perspective of not a normal user. This is the perspective of someone that is 
I think I think he started his article the wrong way. He says, I've been writing about this stuff for five years. I think that he shouldn't say that. And whenever someone's a content writer, I immediately say this is going to be a bunch of garbage. I want to hear from the person that actually uses it. So um, I think it was a mistake for him to put that in there because I read that and I immediately my my BS meter goes on, uh, even though I know he is talking from someone that is actually trying to use page builders. Also, I do think that the the writer and what comes from there tends to be really very much a developer, not a WordPress implementer. You know, most people that we think we're developers are actually WordPress implementers. We're just pulling the tools together and using the tools. We're not writing code. We're not doing those types of things. So he's a developer, like a Develop a WordPress developer, not writing codes for plugins, but originally like a background of writing code to put a website together. So you got to take all of that together. And when you take that all together and you start reading it, then it makes sense. His opinions of why Beaver Builder is better. And actually what you're going to find is anyone most of the people that use Beaver Builder and choose Beaver Builder over another tool, they came from a background of hand coding websites. They're not the other 99% of people that are making websites today that were just users. I just want to click on something and have that drop shadow go at that angle. You know, they're, they're, you, what you can't do with Beaver Builder, by the way, you can't do anything like that. All those like modern design things. You can't do that with Beaver Builder. You have to hand write CSS with the page builder in order to get it. So I think if you look at it from that perspective, it was a very well written article. Uh, he has very specific points. I don't necessarily think those points are really going to matter to everybody. They'll matter to maybe like a small percentage of people. He's talking about um, uh, a lot of like, for instance, using short codes in the page builder. There's a lot of things he's talking about that really just applies for developers. So I think uh, a better way for this article would be to start it off saying, I'm a developer. I have a background of hand coding websites. And this is why I think Beaver Builder is better, because that is what the article is actually about. Unfortunately, people are going to read this that are just a normal user uh, and they're not going to know what the heck he's talking about when he's talking about getting a short code from Restrict Content Pro and placing it into your page builder. They're just, just going to go right over their head. Um, but the article is very well written. I think it's a very, uh, uh, you, you could tell a lot of uh, effort went into it. I do agree uh, that Beaver Builder is fantastic. It absolutely is fantastic. I think Elementor is pretty fantastic too, though. With regards to Divi, I'm surprised it didn't trigger the Divi hater, or the Divi lovers uh, in there attacking them. I guess that article's not being shared in any Divi Facebook groups, but I think that um, Divi is... I just want to point out, I'm having the CEO of Divi come on the Wednesday show in the next few weeks, and I'll be having a bit of a chat with him. Yeah, he's actually a very nice guy. Um, I met him at a WordCamp, uh, spent a good amount of time talking to him. He's a very, very nice guy. Um, but D Divi... Yeah, well, what is this? Because I... Um, are they? Is it still run a lot by short codes, or 
because it's, it's been in, well, it's very hard to target because it, they're, they're pumping a lot of resources into that, aren't they? Yeah, well, Divi's changed a lot in the last 12 months. So if you use Divi 12 months ago, it's a totally different thing today. If you use Divi 24 months ago, it's an entirely different product. And that's because what they've done is made it uh, point and click easy to get really nice modern design styles on your when you're building out uh, pages of content or you're, when you're laying out your page, um, you know, but the challenge that Divi is, is there, you know, this is a perfect example. If you look at the picture of a cockpit of a airplane and you see what 50 million controls, right? It's like, Whoa, what do I click on next? You hop into a Tesla. It's just go to Las Vegas and it just takes you there, you know? So Divi's more that airplane with the cockpit and it's like, Oh my gosh, I mean, I'll immediately feel a sense of overwhelm walking into this thing because it can do everything and it can get you there really, really fast. But you're going to have to sit there and read a manual for a week when you're already there with the Tesla. So that's my, (laughs) my, my real world, you know, analogy for for Divi. Uh, but all in all, I'm glad that they made this article that they went the the direction of doing a comparison like that. I do think it just needs to be uh, a quantified on his background and not that he's a writer. He shouldn't even put that, that this is for the WordPress developer that is used to hand coding things. Yeah, I, I, I think that was a great synopsis, actually, um, Adam. And I think you spot on. What do you reckon, Sally? Well, um, it's it's true he didn't specify that, although that is the bulk of WP Shout's audience. Is yeah. they, they write stuff for developers. And, you know, as somebody who is a developer, I tend to appreciate that. Uh, and, uh, you know, but I was really kind of surprised that they bothered to put all that time into uh, writing about... Yeah, I was in a while. About, about, about Visual Decomposer, of all things. Um, you know, it's because from the, you know, I think pretty much unless somebody is completely new to things from the developer's perspective, we've all written off WP Bakery as, as a complete loss. And the more interesting thing would be, you know, what are the relative merits of, you know, Beaver Builder and Elementor? The, the actual, you know, the, the page builders that, you know, more developers say, you know, this is, this is good. It, you know, it degrades more gracefully if you turn it off. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't come with the kinds of, of problems uh, that you see in the, you know, the older page builders. Uh, And, uh, you know, and they do really let you do things uh, easily, you know, even if you have development skills where that you might prefer to use them rather than, uh, rather than writing the, the code. So it's just, uh, you know, I, I thought they did a, a very thorough job of, of covering what they were covering. It just seemed like, you know, there's this really large hole in, in what you decided to write about. Well, you got to also understand, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this, just like I don't think there was anything wrong with what Amazon does to evade taxes. But if you read this article, 
obviously the people that might go to that website already are going to see it organically, but it wasn't written for them because if it was written for them, there wouldn't be like three paragraphs in the beginning saying I'm a content writer. I own this agency. I do that. Uh, it's written for one purpose and one purpose only to get new eyeballs to the website and, you know, probably to also generate some affiliate commissions, which I'm totally pro. That's a great thing. Um, that's the only reason why I was saying that uh, that, that might answer your question, uh, uh, Sally, as to why is it structured this way? It's structured this way probably to expand the audience because what's happening and it's he, it worked great. Execution was perfect. You see it shared uh, in multiple locations, bringing fresh eyeballs to the website. What do you recommend, though? Yeah, I um, I guess I have a completely different approach, and that is, um, uh, well, first of all, I'm I'm a huge fan of of Beaver Builder, um, and and I think it's it's a high quality product. Um, uh, that said, I think we're Beaver Builder, and uh, Beaver Builder is winning. Divi is is kind of behind Beaver Builder, and then all the rest of kind of. Um, uh, not, not really participated is in, is in community and is reaching out and talking to people, um, face to face, learning from them, supporting, uh, the communities in which, um, people, uh, new, new people are being minted. Um, I see, uh, the beaver builder people out there all the time, um, talking and getting feedback and doing, uh, Q and A's on video, um, I see Divi participating um, more like uh, Divi advocate, um, less less in um, direct community uh, feedback and Q and A and stuff like that. Um, but still notable that they're out there playing around um, uh, and and getting getting people out there to talk about it and. and hopefully bring feedback back to the organization. The others I haven't really seen a whole lot of, uh, and I spend a decent amount of time hanging out uh, at community events and things like that. So I guess my, my only challenge is whoever wants to be on top, um, whoever wants to win this um, needs to be getting firsthand um, feedback from, from their customers. And that might involve hitting the pavement a little bit and having a direct conversation. Yeah, well, I follow, like I say, look, you know, everything you say is, you know, I follow it. I, I think also, I think taking what Adam is saying, I think Beaver Builders really aimed because I interviewed, I've interviewed um, the, the Beaver Builder team about four, two to three times, and they're quite open that they've aimed their product more at the kind of um, either um, somebody that's running a small agency that's doing sites for clients or uh, is a developer, you know, um, Lee Jackson that, um, that comes on the show as well. He uses Beaver Builder quite extensively, but he's a hardcore developer as well. It, they, they've aimed it at that. Um, Divi, Divi's really aimed at um, a very different group of people, maybe, than what Beaver Builder. But there is also, I agree with you, Mendel, a lot of overlap as well. Um, I'm making these statements, but you've got to be aware there's an enormous amount of overlap. 
Elevator. Um, I, I have tried to get them on the show, and they're not being very responsive. Actually, they uh, haven't responded to any of my outreach. Uh, um, to try and get them on the show, I can message them for you. Yeah, please do because I love to have a chat with them as well. Um, but I, I do agree with you, Mendel. They they're not they they have not been very active in the WordPress community, but that has not stopped their growth, has it, Adam? So. Uh, yep. Actually, can I can I challenge what the definition of the WordPress community is? Because I think a lot yeah. of people have I don't know sleeping behind the wheel because it's not WordCamps. Uh, WordCamps are what people think the WordPress community is. It's not anymore. Divi has its own community that's bigger than what people think this WordPress community is. Heck, the Orange County WordCamp that's coming up, I'm going to. Um, I put a, a video up saying I'm going to have the first WP Crafter community meetup. And th about 10% of the tickets that got sold were from the people from the WP Crafter community. So my point is that what people think is the WordPress community is not anymore. And I don't even know if WordCamps are relevant. Uh, well, you can say that. Well, yeah, well, that that could be a subject for next week. <laughs> well, well, there's I'm, just so many communities now. That's all. Well, I'm right. trying to say. Uh, you, you you sleep behind the wheel. I I am while while I could never get a speaking app accepted at a WordCamp, I just went and created my own community, the WP Crafter community. There's over fifty thousand people there. It's a great community. It is. Do great stuff. You know. Oh, yeah, I'd love to come on next week and talk about that. <laughs> yeah, great. Actually, it would be interesting. I, I'm writing that down now, actually, because I think it would that would be an interesting discussion. Because, like most of these, I, I see both views really, Adam. I think you are you've touched something there. Because in some ways, it, it has become become a bit. Um, I, I really a great supporter of word word camps. I'm not planning to go any this year because I'm just stretched out thin. What I'm doing at the present moment. Um, but I see where you're coming from, actually, Adam. But I also think it, it, I think they need regenerating a little bit. Uh, they, they seem, I think it's got bits set in its ways, in a way, the format, and it needs re and the same speakers, the same kind of personalities that have spent a lot of time building themselves. And good luck to them. But. Um, yeah, I'm going to just throw something in really quick, yeah. too. I do think that, that WordCamps in general need a regeneration. Um, I, I think you're seeing a lot of people that kind of do, like, WordCamp tours, and we start to confuse, like, we think that that's the WordPress community. WordPress community is millions and millions and millions of people. Uh, and I do think that, the, and some WordCamps do a really great job at this, but I think we need to get back to developing voices in our own individual communities. That was the original intent of WordCamps in the first place. So I do think we need to get back to that. So yeah. well, I, let me just add one thing. I'm not anti-WordCamp. No, I just no, got to no. get it while I said that. I do say things in such a way to be provocative, and I do that intentionally. I'm not anti-WordCamp like that. I'll be honest, actually, Adam. I didn't think you would be the provocative any in any shape or form there, actually. Uh, um, I think that was a fair statement you come out. So, fair dues. Uh, um, on to the next one. Um, 
I wrote a weird kind of business book. You surely did. Um, so um, this is uh, and, uh, kind of a bit of a little bit of a hero of mine. You know, I had him on the show last week for interview. And um, what do you reckon, John? Would you like to start off with this one? Yeah, so uh, Rand Fiskin, he's the guy who founded SEO Moz, later Moz. Right now, he's uh, got a company uh, called Spark Toro. Uh, he wrote a book called Lost and Founder, and it was basically uh, is a different kind of business book because most of the business books you see, as he said, they can be summarized into a 10-minute TED Talk or uh, you know, a, encapsulated into a meme. This is a different kind of, of book in where he talks. It's kind of a transparent look at his journey of founding Moz uh, up until you know present day, uh, leaving the company, founding SparkToro. And so it, it, I think there's a lot of lessons to be found here. And, it, and again, another thing that, that a lot of people talk about, um, but you know, entrepreneurship is hard. Founding a company, no matter, you know, if it's one or two people or, you know, hundreds or thousands of people is difficult and it's not for the faint of heart. So uh, definitely, yeah. That's yeah, I think yeah. obviously um, he's, he's sending us a copy actually um, of the book. Uh, yeah. Go check out that interview too. Um, well, what I was surprised about the interview was he's um, obviously made, you know, we had a pre-discussion and he said he was quite, he was as, he was prepared to be as open about him leaving Moss as he could be. And he made it quite clear that, um, that he had refused to sign a number of documents and there'd been a, a, a negotiation between him and Moss, and he was extremely open, more open than I thought he was going to be about why he left Moss. Um, I don't, he's, he, he's so ingrained in the branding of Moss in a way, and he's become, he has online, if you're in that world of SEO or online marketing, which I am and you are, John, and most of the people on this panel are, is that he's, personal brand is so linked to Moss that it was just a really a, a surprise but it shouldn't have been because obviously the he hinted very strongly I don't know if you agree with this John that um, he was not happy in the way the company was being driven um, and driven because of it taking VC money you know that's what I was getting from what he was saying that he wanted a more long-term strategy. What do you, do you think I'm right about that, John? Well, definitely he's, st he's staying on like doing the whiteboard Fridays. I mean, if you go to uh, the Moz website or if you look at their YouTube, he's still doing those because there's kind of a, they agreed that there's a, a period where, um, He's he's because he is so associated with the brand. He's basically the public face of that brand. You'd be hard pressed to name you know other people that are you know associated with that brand as closely as he is. So um, yeah, it, it's it's kind of a period where uh, you know this in between period. Um, but he's not uh, with the company. He is is 
you know, building this other thing, SparkToro. They don't have a product yet, but he's basically gathering research for, for what he wants to build next. I, I just, you know, think that this uh, book and the interview that we did with him is definitely like very insightful, is very honest, um, you know, and if you're, you know, building a business or if, if you're going through those entrepreneurial um any type of entrepreneurial journey, uh, I would definitely recommend that book. So, what do you reckon, Sally? Was was used, you know, when you heard? I, the news I, I look, I look forward to to reading it. I mean, I, I think the idea of kind of like you know these these are the myths about success in in Silicon Valley, and these are the facts is a a thing people should read because uh, folks get really caught up in that mythology and and how they think a. a business needs to be run and what they think you need for a, a startup. And, um, you know, that is uh, not necessarily uh, practical, work, workable, or, or appropriate. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I think I'm definitely going to have to make time to, uh, to read that. Uh, it's coming out very soon. Um, and uh, I still need to go in and listen to your interview Oh, you must do that, Sally. Oh, I, I definitely want to. It's you know, it's 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 on my list. Uh, it, just uh, managing to s- squeeze it into my limited podcasting listening time. Yeah, before I throw it over to Adam, uh, I've just got this. Uh, I think the other area was he gave us some initial figures about you know the state of Moss. You know, I think it's got a hundred and hundred and twenty employee employees. Um, it's doing 45 to 50 million a year. Um, it's got like 30,000 users. And these are big figures and very impressive figures. But I think the problem is you took VC money and VC money wants a unicorn. It wants a billion dollar company. It wants substantial growth. And he touched that. It, it wants rapid growth every month. And it's basically, if it can't get that unicorn status, it's looking for uh, an industry sell, basically, at some stage. What do you reckon, Adam? I think uh, he's got some courage, just pure courage to even put his experiences on paper and be uh, open and talking about it because... You know, these are the things that people don't talk about, the realities of situations that that most people don't have the courage. And it's okay. You don't not everyone has to have the courage to share what really happened. It's okay, But it does take a special kind of courage to be willing to put it in a book like this and put it out there and share the realities because it's a it's sharks. I mean, you're swimming with sharks the minute you take any money. I mean, that's why. I'm not like promoting AppSumo here, but what AppSumo's pitch is, if you're familiar with AppSumo, what their pitch is, don't take VC money. And I want to, to get- compl- I want to complain about your videos, actually, about, you know, you, you're, you're, you're costing me a load of money, you are. <laughs> Every freaking time I look what to what, I watch one of your AppSumo videos, I end up buying it. You oh, know? God. <laughs> That's funny. I know. I, I, I always start them off by saying you guys are going to hate me. But the, the, the sales pitch for AppSumo, which I do think is brilliant when you really think about it, is like, hey, you could take half a million dollars in VC money and give up a third of your company or half of your company or something like that. You can do that. 
Or you could come here, you can get a big discount and there is a future liability with what gets sold and you'll get exposed to our million, a million uh, contact list and our platform and you can make a half a million dollars instead through our platform. You, you get 10,000 new customers, you get, you don't give up one, one ounce of your company or control or anything you keep all your control you just you just there's just a different way of looking at it as a way to get uh money obviously with Moz, we're, we're talking about millions not hundreds of thousands of dollars but the point being is you're swimming with sharks you're just business is swimming with sharks unfortunately <laughs> and and i'm really just uh i admire i admire what he's gone through and his willingness to share it well, I always thought he was a class act, and I told him that, and he, I think it was that you think I was buttering him up a bit. But I actually, he's one of the few people I always thought it was a class act. Really, what do you recommend? Uh, I don't really have an opinion because I, I haven't, I haven't read the book, right? Um, and you never listened to my interview, did you? And I never listened to your interview, so I would just be blowing smoke uh, if yeah. I gave an opinion, but. Uh, now that I've been publicly shamed, I should uh, I should go and do both of those things. So. Definitely, definitely. I think we're going to wrap it up now. Um, I think we've had a great discussion, and I, I think apart from my rant at the first part, the end of the first part of this show, I think the panel's done a, a great job. So, um, Sally, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to, Sally? You can find me on WPFangirl.com. You can find our meetup at EastBayWP.com. I am at Sally Getch on Twitter. And if you can spell my name, you can find me. I am unique in Google. Certainly are. And Mendel, how can people find out about your trips to Iceland, your lack of eating rotten shark? <laughs> all that. Well, um, if, if you're curious about that, you can uh, just message me at if you will it. Um, but to see the stuff that I'm working on at GoDaddy, um, feel free to pop on over to GoDaddy.com slash pro. You won't be disappointed. And Adam, how can people find out the man that costs me a considerable amount of money? <laughs> you might not want to go to the YouTube channel. It's growing uh, very fast, very strong. I'll just uh, say the URL, youtube.com slash WP Crafter. And uh, you hear from me about five, six times a week there with new videos. And it's great stuff, folks. It really is. I'll watch some of it. Uh, it's a real time killer, though, and it costs you money as well. But no, 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 what can you say? It's great stuff. And John, how can people find out what you're up to, John? Well, you can go to my website, which is LockdownDesign.com. You can also uh, just go into YouTube, type in Lockdown Design. Just find me there. How do the people get a hold of you, Jonathan? It's really easy, folks. Go to the WP Tonic website or go to our YouTube channel or go to the Facebook page. Um, I'm pushing out regular content every week. Great guests, great interviews, um, and a great panel show. Um, I I can't see that much more I can do when it comes to the quality standard. We'll see you next week where hopefully we have a very similar quality discussion as we had this week. See you soon, folks. Bye. Bye. See ya. Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.